Open them to Matthew chapter 6. We'll start our reading at verse 12 through verse 15, reading from the New International Version. Jesus is speaking here in the text as Matthew has recorded it. It's right in the middle of the All Father Prayer, which is a, a collection of, of prayer principles that Jesus laid out to teach about prayer. And here's what Jesus says. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Shout, deliver us from the evil one. And then Jesus says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Somebody go, wow. Please be seated. <laughs> uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we're in the middle of a series that we have entitled Radical Living. The central point of this series is that Jesus invites us not to simply believe in him intellectually, but to follow him. Everybody shout follow. The world is changed by followers of Jesus. The big ideal that we're looking at today is that uh, when we make the decision to follow Jesus... It means that at the end of the day, it's a radical decision, and it means that we're going to be radical. We're going to be different. We're going to be unusual. We're going to be not ordinary people. And one of the ways in which we're called to be radical and different is that as followers of Jesus, we're called to have hearts that empathize and forgive radically. Empathize and forgive radically. Now, let me just say this. If there ever was a time that the world, this country, the community in which you live, your house needs to see Jesus' followers Five days after the election, it's now. It's now. It's now. In the midst of a climate where people are calling each other's names, labeling and mislabeling, defriending people on their Facebook page, <laughs> ranting on Facebook page, be fighting and jumping on folk, if there ever was a time for us to see some folk who can exercise empathy and forgiveness radically, it's now. And so the Jesus that we serve invites us to move towards his love. What does that mean? Well, for us believers, it means that it's pretty remarkable that in Jesus Christ, God has said that I will love you unconditionally 
and I will forgive you even for the unforgivable. Isn't that amazing? And we see that through his death on the cross and his resurrection for life. So we receive that love. We receive that forgiveness. And yet the same Jesus says, it's not just sufficient for you to receive that remarkable, radical love and forgiveness. I expect those who receive it and believe and follow me, I expect you to be an instrument of that same kind of radical love and forgiveness. So, how do we do that? How do we do that? The first way is really captured in the word recognize. Everybody say recognize. Recognize, recognize. Uh, When we look at Jesus' teaching in Matthew, it's significant to actually back up before we get to chapter 6, go back to chapter 5. Those of you who have been with us, you know we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount between chapter 5 and chapter 7. And this radical teaching of Jesus. It's significant to see chapter 5 verses 23 through 24. Here's what Jesus says in the New Living Translation. He says, so if you're presenting your sacrifice at the altar in the temple. In other words, if you're in worship. And you suddenly, everybody shout suddenly. Remember that someone has something against you. Better, better translation of that, if you look at it in, in other translations, you see if you suddenly remember that a brother or a sister, meaning somebody that you're in relationship with, has something against you, been wounded or hurt by you. It says, drop your sacrifice, leave your sacrifice at the altar. And go and be reconciled to him or her. Then return and offer your sacrifice. In other words, return and keep worshiping. Now, here's a couple of things that happens in worship. In worship, if we're genuinely giving God praise and worship, we get to realize or we're reminded that God is bigger, everybody say bigger, he's bigger than anything that we're dealing with. He's even bigger than the presidency of the United States. Go figure, right? He's bigger than the United States of America. He is bigger and because of who he is, as we begin to worship him, in the process of worship, we see him for who he is, but He also helps us to see ourselves for who we are. And what the text is suggesting is, if you look at the text, it says, so if you're in worship, and it's not talking about, notice it doesn't say anything about how you feel in worship. Because some folk, uh, you you know, some of the folk are here, uh, you voted for Mr. Trump, and you're feeling pretty good. You're celebrating and excited and said, this is absolutely wonderful. And so you couldn't wait to get the worship to celebrate. There's some other folk who are here who didn't vote for Mr. Trump. And it was hard for you to get out of bed this morning. And you were like, I don't know where I go to church or not. What's the use? 
And what's so fascinating, there's a reason why they call this a sanctuary. Everybody say sanctuary. The reason they call this a sanctuary is that whatever your feelings are, it's safe to have them in here. And by the way, no one should judge your feelings. The feelings are never right. It's not ever an issue of being right or wrong. It's not how I feel that ultimately matters. It's what I do with those feelings that matters. So Jesus doesn't mention about how they feel in worship, how you feel in worship. Here's what he says. It doesn't matter how you feel. No feeling lets you off the hook of tending to relationships. So the text says you're in worship and you remember that there's somebody in your circle of relationships who is hurting because of you. Now, I like the King James version of this. King James version says this. <laughs> if you're in worship, made your offering, and you remember that someone has an alt, O-U-G-H-T, against you. I like that. Everybody say alt. In other words, somebody's sitting back and thinking, <laughs> you ought to have done X, but because you didn't, I'm hurt. Or somebody's thinking, you ought to have not done Y, but because, because you did it, I'm hurt. Now, let me make it plain. Somebody's sitting and thinking, you know, in your family, on your job, uh, uh, in, your, in your relationship circle, you're looking at somebody and saying, you ought to have voted for who I voted for, but because you didn't, I don't want to talk to you right now, right? And somebody else is saying, you ought to not have voted for X, but, but, but because you did, it's impact. I don't even want you on my Facebook. <laughs> and Jesus says, that's okay, I guess, for people who don't follow him. But the one who died and shed his blood... So that we all can be redeemed. He says, if you're following me, that's not okay. That if you're serious about your relationship with God, you've got to be serious about your relationship with each other. It's not okay to be content with broken relationships. By the way, this is not just election oriented, is it? Because a lot of us have come in here with broken relationships that dates way back. We've got some parents here who rarely talk to your kids because they did something that broke your heart. And you don't talk to them. We've got some kids, grown kids, who, who won't talk to a parent, a particular parent, because you're carrying some stuff from years ago. We've got some spouses here. You're still living in the same house. Or some folk who've been dating for the last seven or eight years, but you're carrying... Within you, some stuff, some woundedness, some hurting, and we, I, I know it's there because every time you get a chance to punish your spouse or your significant other, you do it. And Jesus says that when you come to worship, that one of the values of being in a place where the Holy Spirit is at work as we sing about who he is and the power that he has is that he reminds us that if you're serious about your relationship with him, God, you have to be serious about your relationship with each other. 
says, how can you love God whom you've not seen if you don't love your brother and sister who you see all the time? So he says, so go be reconciled. Everybody shout reconcile. reconcile. All right, what does it take to be reconciled? Well, uh, 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 it, 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 the first thing it is, is it, it, essentially to be reconciled uh, means that, number two, you need to empathize. Shout empathize. That's the first step. Well, here's what James says. James chapter 1. Picking up from where Jesus left off. Here's what Jesus says. Oh, I remember somebody is hurt because of something related to me. Let me leave worship and go find that person. All right, when I find that person, what should I do? How do I, what, what, how do I engage? James says this. James says, be quick to what? Slow to what? Okay, you know what that means? That you begin to ask questions. Help me to understand why you feel the way that you feel. Help me to understand what is it that, uh, how did whatever it is that's broken our relationship. Help me to understand your heart in that. And, and, and when I ask those questions, I'm going to do less talking and more listening. Here's the point. Listening is loving. You want to love somebody? It starts with your listening to them. Spouses and parents and kids and friends where there's been relationship breaches. Love starts with listening. Secondly, listening is also learning. You discover something. So he says, go quick to listen, slow to talk, and then slow to what? Don't be so quick to get angry. Give them space to, to, to share what's broken in their heart. Don't, don't, don't be ready to go off. Slow to anger. Empathy, right? Empathy. Empathy means that I have the ability to care for you even if I disagree with you. So here's a point I want you to get. Listen to this. You don't have to think the way I think to care about me. All right, I want you to get it. So turn to somebody else next to you. Turn to somebody close to you and say, just say, hey. No, no, we got to try it again. That was weak. <laughs> Pick somebody close to you. Say, excuse me. You don't have to think like I think in order to care for me. All right, find somebody else. Say, excuse me. I don't have to think. Like you, think, like you think, in order to care for you. Because Jesus doesn't think like most of us think. And he still died, right? And he still shed his blood. And he still went into the grave. And he still went through all of that for us. I don't think the way. Everybody shout reconcile. Let's just be reconciled. Well, here's, a, here's, a, here's an insight. To be reconciled to my brother and sister does not mean we have to agree. But it does require understanding. 
If I can understand where you're coming from, I may not agree with your conclusion, but if I can understand where you're coming from, we can get back in relationship. All right, let me draw. I'm going to the drawing board. Everybody get excited. This is going to be great. <laughs> I wanted to draw this. Show this up. Talk about these elections. All right, here we go. That's a straight line in case you were wondering. <laughs> and on this side, I'm going to put... Mr. Trump voters, and on the other side, I'm going to put Ms. Clinton's voters, all right? And then down here, I'm going to put uh, the others, and over here, these are some folk who didn't vote, and there's some folk over here who voted for a third party, somebody. Or they wrote something in. All right. All right. This is interesting. Now, the folk over here are calling the folk over here names. And the folk over here are calling the folk over here names. And everybody up here calling folk down here names. <laughs> now, 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 here's the problem. This here mixture exists in our home. We have some folk who voted differently and they live in the same space. Exists on, on our job. We have some colleagues that we've worked with for a long time. We thought they thought one way and then people voted and they discovered now they were thinking something differently, right? Uh, 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 we, we have friends who we've been, you know, been going out to dinner, shooting ball with playing golf with, but we just discovered that we disagree on this particular issue, right? And now we see this difference. And the text says, if you have defriended somebody, or you don't take their call anymore, or you just don't like them anymore, and you've been hanging out with them for 20, but you don't want anything to do with them, or vice versa, you know people who feel that way about you, because you're in one group there and the other, you're in one group there and the other, after worship, if you're serious, go track them down and get into dialogue. And what you want to know as you listen is you want to ask the question, help me to understand. Let's go to this. Go to the Trump voters. It's easy to label them one way for if you're in this group. But if you talk to Trump voters, you'll discover that folk voted for Trump for a lot of different reasons. For example, one of the uh, demographics that's dying more rapidly than others in recent era are white uh, working class, primarily men who live in rural areas. Why, you might ask. Alcohol, drugs, why, you might ask. Because they live in little towns like I grew up in that had one industry. My town actually had two. It had a place that processed wood. I was a puckwood hauler. That was important to me. And they had a place that they made iron. We called them Sunbeam. 
if we had lost those industries, most of the folk who graduated from school didn't go to college. They worked in those industries. And if those industries leave and they're not replaced and you live through that for eight years and you can't get a job, and you don't have the skills, you don't have the training, what you discover is that in this area is some pain. Can you say pain? Pain. pain. And under the pain is the notion of feeling invisible. Is the notion of feeling undervalued. Feel like nobody care about you. Pain. And so some of those folk voted for Trump. A lot of them. In this group of some folk, I had a Republican friend of mine who said, I voted for Trump. But when I did, I, I, had, I, I did it holding my nose. What do you mean? He was saying, I don't like the words that came out of his mouth. I don't like what he was saying. But what he represented for him, as a person explained, was that, 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 that he couldn't vote for Hillary because, you know, she believed in partial birth abortions. And, and he has a serious conviction to the right to life. And some other folk voted for him, not because they liked per se what he said, but, but, but you know, we have college students who vote because they just believe the government ought to be smaller and that we have, ought to have more say. So they voted, right? And so you got all these different people who vote. Some people vote because they're afraid of the Supreme Court nominee that might take away religious freedom rights. And so, and so they voted. Now, here is the problem, right? Once, if we don't have a dialogue with these people, we don't understand. All we know is we heard some people will say, I heard some hateful things, and if you voted for him, you must be voting for hate. No, no, talk to somebody. But what you've concluded is this. Anybody in this group, I'm just going to write this across. They're all haters. That's the label. All now listen. It's true that the Ku Klux Klan said that Mr. Trump was their man. But don't get too bent out of shape. There's some crazy folk in this group too. Really? Come on. Come on, just the other day, I just, I just read last night where a, a young girl, college girl, in San Francisco came out of a store. Some uh, crazy person asked us, who do you vote for? She said, Trump. And he, t and he took a, a metal pole and beat her. So don't let some crazy folk make you label the whole group. But you wouldn't know this. And here's what Jesus is saying. Even after I talk to you, I don't have to agree with you. But your pain ought to matter. How you feeling ought to matter. All right. Over here, Clinton folk. Over here. All right. Now, I, I heard some people say all these riots, these marches have broken out. And folks said, why don't y'all in this group just get over it? And move on. I thought Van Jones on CNN, I thought he had a wonderful response to this. Listen, here's what he says. Because the people said, why don't you just get over it and let's, let's work for unity. 
And Van Jones says, we can't have unity until you hear our pain. That applies to both sides. Because what's going on over here, watch this, is pain and fear, right? Also powerlessness. What's going on over here? So have you, don't make light of this eruption that has taken place unlike any other election. Why would that be so? Well, because whatever you think about Mr. Trump, he has said some things that has created enormous anxiety. If you are a person of color and you've heard him say some things that you translate as horrendously racist, if you are a disabled person and you saw him make fun of the disabled, if you are an immigrant and you heard him say essentially, you know, I'm going I'm I'm to round up all of the illegal immigrants. We're going to push them out of, out of the country. And, 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 and you've got family and friends. Some of them are not here legally. And you're thinking about how that's going to be torn. How they're going to be torn. You're scared to death. If you are a woman who's been a victim of sexual assault and you heard what he said, well, it's not, it's not a big deal that somebody would say those things, but when somebody say those things and become president and have power, it creates a reaction of fear and pain. So the people over here, You've got to try to figure out, let's have a conversation. Why are you reacting? And even though you may not agree with their conclusions, it ought to matter to you their pain and their powerlessness. Because for the last 10 years, you say you felt pain and powerlessness. No, what we would like to do is label this whole group. Here's what you label the whole group as immature or ungodly. I've heard that. And then both of these label this group down here unresponsible, ir irresponsible. I don't even know how to spell it, but you get the idea. <laughs> Just write real fast. <laughs> Cover it up. <laughs> You know, like, how could you not vote in the most important election ever? And you got to hear them say, I am so sick and so disgusted by a deteriorating political process. And I didn't like either of the candidates. I felt powerless. Well, you don't have to agree with them. But Jesus says, if you are a follower of his... You need to be concerned about their pain. How, how can you ignore people's pain? Here's what we like. See, it takes courage to listen to people. Because well, here's what we want. I, I need, if I disagree with you, I need you to be completely evil. Can't be any gray in there. 
Because if, if you're completely evil, I feel a whole lot better about me. Hey, you. <laughs> but if you're not completely evil, it makes me feel kind of funny about me hating you. And this is hugely far more complex. Mr. Trump said some pretty tough things about the Latino community, and yet 30% of the Latino community voted for him. You see, it's a whole lot more complex. So Jesus says, all right. So everybody say, recognize. Take inventory of your feelings and your relationships. Are there some broken relationships that you've come in here with and you're content with? Everybody say, empathize. Empathize. You, you need to take some time to talk to people who you've been hanging up on and defriending and labeling so that you can listen. And by all means, if you want to disagree with their politics, do it. But don't you dare dismiss their pain. And then, if you can empathize, it sets you up for forgiveness. Everybody say forgive. All right, let's go to watch the text. Now, might say, well, I don't need to listen. Let me tell you why you need to practice forgiveness. If you're in this group and people have called you a hater, there's some folk you need to forgive. If you're in this group and folk have referred to you as ungodly and immature because you voted for Miss Clinton, maybe you voted because she was going to be the first female president or, or, or you had other positive reasons that you voted for her, but, but they're going to call you immature and ungodly now because you're reacting a certain way. There's some folk you're going to have to forgive. If, if, if people label you as irresponsible and just walk all over your feelings, there's some folk you got to forgive. Here's what Jesus says. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts. Jesus points this out. Forgive us our debts in the same way that I forgive. See how he links these things? If you forgive your brothers and sisters who sin against you, I will forgive you. And it's linked together. Well, it makes it sound like it's conditional, no? But here's what, here's, here's what Jesus is saying, essentially. He, he, he's saying, if you're the kind of person who can't forgive, then you're not in a position to really receive forgiveness. All right, watch this. Here's an interesting point. Forgive us our debts, we forgive our debtors. Then comes, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I used to think that was a disruption. Then came, if you can't forgive... You won't be forgiven. A few years ago, I discovered that's a one continual thought. Here's what Jesus is saying. Watch this. If I can't forgive you, that unforgiveness in me positions me to be overtaken by evil. Or let me say it another way. The unforgiveness in me will turn me exactly into the person that I most despise. Let me prove it. Over here, we got folk who don't like false labels 
around race and gender and all of that. And yet, you've labeled a whole group here. Over here, you've got folk who doesn't like to be labeled like this. So your response is you label the whole group over here. Unforgiveness turns you into the very person you're trying not to be. Somebody said this. Unforgiveness is like me being mad at you. And so I get, I get a glass of poison and I drink it and watch and hope that you die. <laughs> yeah, 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 I want you to die. Give me that poison. I'll give you an example. A number of years ago, my wife went to participate in a wedding somewhere on the other side of the country. She was in the wedding. And I've always said that when my wife is in the wedding, I feel sorry for the bride. It's <laughs> a, a fact. She's, all eyes are supposed to be on the bride. But when my wife comes out, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so she's sitting at the table with the groom and the bride. The groom's father was there. The father, the father had abandoned his family a couple of decades earlier. Cheated on the mom, divorced, walked out of his kid's life. A number of years later, the father came to himself, wanted to come back into the life of his kid. That's why he was at his son's. But the son, by the way, the definition for forgiving is releasing resentment, including feelings of anger and bitterness, without the need to repay. That's the definition. But the son hadn't released that bitterness. And so here he is at his own wedding, and that bitterness started to spew out, spew out, talking at the table about his father at the other table. Now, if you ask the son, the son would say, I'm okay. I didn't need it. And I'm okay. The problem is, he's not okay. Because that bitterness that he can't let go, he's going to carry it into his marriage. And it's going to come out in his relationship with his spouse. That bitterness that he can't let go, he's going to carry it into his parenting. And one day he's going to wake up and he's going to be the very despised person that his father is to him. If you can't forgive, you lock grace out of your life. All right, how do I forgive? Everybody shout, how? It's a great question, right? It's not automatic. It's not about feelings. It may take a long time. How do I, how do I get there? Well, number one, quickly... We need to reframe the narrative. What we tell ourselves. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Here's what the boy, when he thought about his father and his life, the narrative went something like this. My father abandoned me, abandoned my mother, didn't come show up, didn't care about me. And, 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 and that narrative reinforces his bitterness. But if the, boy had take some, if the boy would take some time and actually talk to dad and say, dad, help me to understand what was happening back then. And, and he might discover that dad, you see, because I said this last week, I'll say it again, that, that, that it, at the bottom of the, of, in the hearts of people who hurt you, 
Nine times out of ten, there's hurt there. Hurt people hurt. And if he takes some time, he might discover that his father's father abandoned him. He might discover that in the middle of the marriage, the father began to feel inadequate and powerless. And, 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 and he might discover some other stuff between his dad and his mom that was going on that he didn't realize. And, 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 and his father made these horrendous mistakes coming out of his woundedness. And if the boy has a heart, if he's a follower of Jesus, and if he can hear daddy's pain, then the boy, while he may not conclude, um, agree with what dad did, which is perfectly fine, he can still care about his pain. And so when the boy reframes the narrative, here's what he'll say in the future if he's had the right conversation. You know, dad walked out on me, but what I learned is... His father had worked out on him. And because of that, he had these feelings of inadequacies and, and, and of some other stuff that's going on that drove that. And, and, and that even though he walked out, and the reason he didn't come back is that he felt like, like, like I was better off without him than with him. And in his mind, he was making a good choice for me. I hate that choice, but I see it differently now. Can somebody say, a new narrative, say that. It opens up the ability to forgive. Secondly, lastly, you need to never forget, always remember that forgiveness is a gift that you must receive in order to give. Quick story. Uh, true story. Uh, wife caught her husband messing up on her. She went to her pastor for counsel. Talked about an hour. At the end of the hour, she said, what can I do? What should I do? The pastor said, you're going to have to forgive him. And she said, you crazy. <laughs> and by the way, do you have a therapist that you can recommend? Because you're not helping me. <laughs> so the pastor recommended a therapist. Now, sometimes we do give the answer too quickly. So she goes to the therapist. And the therapist doesn't come up quick. She goes through six sessions with him. At the end of the sixth session, she said, what do I need to do? And the therapist says, are you interested in healing? She said, yes. He said, you need to forgive him. <laughs> and she was so done. And the therapist said, don't confuse what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you have to take him back. Because forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean that. And I'm not saying that, that you're forgiving him and somehow says that what he did was right because that's not true. I'm saying that if you want to heal, you've got to forgive him. He said, now let me help you. Everybody shout, a gift. He said, see what I want you to do. Here's some homework for all of y'all. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and I want you to take some quiet time and I want you, he was a Christian therapist. I want you to think of some of the worst things you've ever done that you want Jesus to forgive you. And I want you to write them down. So she went home. And she said, she's got enough space. She started thinking. And she remembered when she was in high school, she was in with the cool girls. And how she made some other girls feel so terrible. 
And she was convicted. She wrote that down. She said, oh, Lord, please forgive me. She remembered when she was in college, she was pledging. And during pledge week, she did one of those unforgivable things. She says, oh, God. She wrote that down. She remembered in her senior year, she went to a party, got high, and she woke up in a place that she didn't know how she got there with somebody she didn't even know. She wrote that down. So she added about three more things to the list. And then when she started looking at it, and then she remembered that her pastor had said that whatever you have done, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just, Jesus, to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And she started looking at what Jesus was was forgiving her for, had forgiven her for, and she started breaking out in tears. She just couldn't believe that he could love her that way, that that grace was that great. And, 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 and somewhere in the middle of the process, she realized, if God can forgive me like this, I can forgive him, my spouse. And they didn't get back together, but she was set free from the resentment. Unlike one, one, one couple I counseled personally, and then she laid out, the, the wife laid out 12 things that the husband had done, and it was pretty bad. He, she was pretty bad. And, and so I said to her, okay, can you think of three things that you might have done over the course of the last year that was wrong? And she stopped a moment. She said, no. <laughs> I said, well, wait, 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 wait. Can you at least think of one thing that you might have done over the course of the year that you might have said wrong or done something wrong she, she stopped and she put her head down she thought she says no pastor I can't think of anything it's a true story so here's the problem if you see yourself through those kind of eyes that you are so good that you are so good that you are so good in your marriage that you are so good as a child or a parent that, that, that you're not, you're, you, you're not you, you've, done, you've not done anything wrong that means that you don't have a need for forgiveness that's what Jesus means when he says you're not open for grace because grace comes only to those who need forgiveness so we can bring this to an end everybody say recognize Recognize. take inventory of your feelings and your relationship where's the brokenness in your life everybody say empathize go have some conversations with people by the way if they don't want to reconcile with you that's okay as long as your heart is open if I say forgive, forgive, release the resentment by remembering what you've been forgiven of. And then the last thing, commit to move towards healing and away from hurting. Make sure that what you're doing is facilitating healing and not adding to hurting why I'm only talking to the Jesus followers now because Jesus says if you do that you will be the light of the world on your job in your community you'll be the salt of the earth say amen
Give God a hand, praise. That's it. Two things. We gave out these cards as you were coming in. If you see these cards, can you, you know, raise your hand if you got a card. All right, good. If you didn't get a card, they're at the hospitality and welcome desk. And this, is, this takes us back to our discussion around race and violence because I want you to actually go out and have some conversations. And this gives you the, uh, the, the, the how to do it, right? It's right here on the card. Learn how to listen to other stories without judgment, with humility, acknowledge other people's pain, pray for the other. Be prepared to forgive, to stretch and forgive. The, uh, the, where you can go to our website and get it is right up there as well. So take a card. I want, you, I want you to go out and practice. You want to grow spiritually? Go out and practice this. So last thing I want to say is, it doesn't matter where you stand up here, you can forgive me and be in a different place politically than I am. And I just want you to know, once you've... Keep advocating for what you want to advocate. Somebody may be advocating for the right of life. Forgiveness doesn't stop you from advocating. Somebody may be advocating for immigrant rights. Keep advocating. But if you learn how to listen, and if you have a heart open for forgiveness, you'll be a whole lot more effective advocate. Amen? Here's your response card. Simply want to challenge you. What's your next step? Maybe to say yes to Jesus. Look at the response to the message. Here's what I want to challenge us to leave. Put the response to the message up there. As you leave, I want you to write and commit, if you will. If it's not where you are, that's okay. Don't do it. I will practice radical forgiveness. Turn your card in. And go change the world. Woo.